All right, thank you. Shalom. It's so great to be here with you guys. I always look forward to my chance to minister here at Cornerstone. And I am just so stoked about what Pastor Terry mentioned. Uh, for 18 years, Jews for Jesus has been conducting this Operation Behold Your God, which is a commitment to have saturation outreach in every city around the world with a Jewish population of 25,000 or more. 77 cities. We've been doing this for a while, and we saved the best and most challenging for last. We were in Jerusalem for the entire month of May, over 70 staff and volunteers reaching out. And there's a picture of us, most of us there, at the final lunch that we had at the end of this outreach. And man, we were so excited just to be alive there, you know. We didn't know what kind of opposition we would be facing, and the challenges were great. But the openness and the opportunities were astounding. We, we had a chance during that month to reach out and share individually with over 5,000 Israelis the good news of Messiah Jesus. Over 1,700 of them gave us their names and addresses, wanting more literature, wanting more follow-up, and that follow-up is going on right now. And we prayed with 63 Israelis to receive Jesus as their Messiah and Lord. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. And as a result, Jews for Jesus now has a permanent presence in the city of Jerusalem. It's about time. I had so much fun. I, I, I had the opportunity to go around and be with different teams. We had 10 different teams, people who were reaching out to the ultra-Orthodox men, the ultra-Orthodox women. We had an arts team, a sports team, a university team. In fact, once I was with the people reaching out there at, uh, at uh, Hebrew University, in, uh, in Jerusalem, and uh, it was a really hot day, and they had closed down a lot of the streets of Jerusalem because the Italian bike racing team was doing this race through the city, and it was hot, so we decided we would give out bottles of water to people, and uh, we were there giving out the water and just talking to people who'd stop and talk to us, and one guy came up and he said, man, I really like your hat. So I was wearing a, a San Francisco Giants hat. He says, I love the Giants. I wish I had a hat like that. I said, really? Well, you can have mine. He said, really? You give me your hat? I said, yeah, I got more at home. And he said, well, why are you doing this? You know? And of course, that led to a wonderful opportunity to explain why I was doing that. And so he gave, he's one of those 1,700. He gave me his name and address. We actually had, during the following weeks, during the month of May, we went four times to open up the scriptures and talk. Michael is on a journey. In fact, he's on a journey right now because he said, I'm going to be coming to the United States. My old college buddy is in San Francisco. If I come out, you want to go to a game together? So we've been in touch on Facebook, and, and he's coming. And so pray for Michael and pray for all of the things that God is doing. Talk about a spark. I mean, this has been the most exciting ministry experience of my life. And I'm so glad to be able to share some of it with you because I'm one of the people that Cornerstone supports. I'm your missionary with Jews for Jesus in Jerusalem and all around the place. So thanks for your prayers. And, uh, you know, when Pastor Terry asked me to kind of wrap up this section of the summer series, the Spark series, my mind immediately went to one of my favorite Bible stories, which is found in Luke chapter 19 about Zacchaeus. And I, I really relate to Zacchaeus. And uh, so I called this uh, message, Jesus, Zach, and us. And, uh, you know, 
This is a, a, a story that um, actually had very real practical application for me because as I was thinking about it and starting to read the scripture, I went down to L.A. to visit my family. And I was one morning cooking breakfast for my six-year-old granddaughter, Nora, making her oatmeal. And uh, she pulls out this silver box from her bedroom and opens it up, and there's like a stack of money, $5 bills, $1 bills, and she starts <coughs> counting it with a great deal of intensity. And I said, Nora, where did you get all that money? She said, people, you know, the Tooth Fairy, you know, my birthday, and she's counting it. And then all of a sudden she comes out with this. She says, when I grow up, I want to be really rich. <laughs> I said, okay, this is going to be a teachable moment. And so I said, you know, Nora, you know, money isn't everything. And she's still counting that money. <laughs> so finally I said, Nora, can I, can I read you a Bible story? And she stopped. She said, yes. So I went and I got her Jesus Bible storybook. And uh, it's not exactly a translation, but I think they get it pretty right. And so it's in your handout. And you got to imagine me reading this to Nora. And I hope that it means as much to you as it meant to me and now to Nora. It's called The Man Who Didn't Have Any Friends. None. <laughs> there once was a man who didn't have any friends. None. Do you have any friends? Well, of course you do but not Zacchaeus. Poor Zacchaeus didn't have any. You're probably wondering why. Was it because he was so short? That's not a reason not to like someone. Was it because he had a name that was hard to say? Well, neither is that. Even though he was short and he did have a funny name, that wasn't it. No. People didn't like Zacchaeus because he stole their money. Zacchaeus collected taxes. Taxes were what people had to pay the king. But Zacchaeus took more than he was supposed to and kept the extra money for himself and made himself rich. Everyone knew what he was up to and it made them cross and grumpy. They didn't like Zacchaeus one bit. So they made sure he knew it by doing things like avoiding him and walking on the opposite side of the street and pretending not to see him and whispering things like, there's that nobody who thinks he's a somebody loud enough so he could hear. Anyway, one day a huge crowd gathered by the road. Jesus was coming to their town, and everyone wanted to see him. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus too, but everyone was so, too tall. He, he tried jumping up and down, but that didn't work. He couldn't see a thing. Luckily, Zacchaeus had a good idea. I'll climb that sycamore tree, he said. So he did. He was surprisingly good at climbing trees for a man who was so unusually short that he had to take a flying leap just to get into his chair in the morning. From the tree, Zacchaeus had the perfect view all the way down the road. Another minute, and suddenly Jesus was at the tree. He stopped and looked up. Zacchaeus saw Jesus, and Jesus saw Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, Jesus said, I'd like to come over to your house. Zacchaeus almost fell out of the tree, come over to his house. No one ever wanted to come anywhere near his house, let alone inside it. The people saw this, and needless to say, it made them even crosser and grumpier than usual. They mumbled and murmured and muttered. Why is Jesus being kind to this, that big sinner? Doesn't Jesus know about him? Zacchaeus scrambled down and took Jesus to his house. He was in a big hurry because he didn't want Jesus to change his mind. 
Perhaps Jesus hadn't heard about him. Perhaps Jesus didn't know about he had, how he had been stealing and how no one liked him and how he didn't have any friends. But Jesus knew. He knew all about Zacchaeus and the stealing and everything, and he still loved him. Zacchaeus was ashamed. Lord, he said, turning pale, what I've done is wrong, but now I want to do the right thing. I will give the money back to everyone, four times what I stole, and that's just what he did. Jesus smiled. My friend, he said, today God has rescued you. Jesus loved Zacchaeus when nobody else did. He was Zacchaeus' friend even when no one else was because Jesus was showing people what God's love was like, his wonderful, never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Isn't that a great story? <laughs> I love that story. And now Nora loves that story, and we share it between our, us. In fact, there's a little ditty that's, if you grew up in Sunday school, maybe you learned it, and I was able to teach it to Nora. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. <laughs> so I, you know, I can't think of this story. And I encourage you to read the, the story in Luke 19. Um, but, I, you know, it's just, it's a bond. It was a teachable moment because it was the Bible story that Nora now loves. And we read it every time we're together. But, you know, there are sparks in this story that transformed Zacchaeus' life. And I want to look at three of them because I think that they, they transform my life and I think they can transform all of our lives. It's a spark of regret. There's a spark of opportunity and a spark of welcome. Let's think about these three. So Zacchaeus, uh, we learn from this story, was a tax collector. And in fact, we know where it was. It's not mentioned in that version, but in the Luke 19 Bible story, you'll, you'll see that he came from Jericho. Now Jericho, you can still go and visit today. And you can see its proximity to Jerusalem. It was down in the, in the valley, the the, uh, the, the Jordan River Valley, and it was a border town. So it was actually a very well-to-do town in Jesus' day because that's what people would come through, that city, on the way up to Jerusalem. So they would come to bring their offerings and their tithes. And in Jericho, that's where they got taxed. It's like, you know, coming across a border and you get taxed, customs. And, and Zacchaeus... This short guy, and probably he was under five foot tall at the time. That was uh, what <laughs> constituted short in Israel. But he was not just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. In other words, he uh, had tax collectors collecting tax for him. And there was a lot of money that came in to his coffers. He became very rich. But what you need to understand is that Zacchaeus was not collecting taxes for the Israel government, the Jewish government. He was collecting taxes for the Roman government. At this point, Israel was under the thumb of Roman domination, and it was a very heavy tax burden that they placed on the Jewish people, and Zacchaeus was colluding with the enemy. You know, we hear about Russian collusion. This is Roman collusion, right? 
He was colluding with the enemy, and he made that choice because he wanted to be rich. That was a way to become very rich in Jesus' day, but he had to pay the price. He became a social pariah, an outcast, and he experienced in his own life the consequences of that choice to collude with the Romans and to steal money from people in order to advance his own purposes. And that certainly caused regret, a regret that he lived with each and every day as he was the social outcast in the community. You know, Proverbs 22, verse 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And Zacchaeus ignored that good advice and chose the great riches and lost the good name. But then he had an opportunity because Jesus was coming to town. Now, in Luke 18, the previous chapter, we find out that when Jesus was on his way into Jericho, he healed a blind man. I mean, this is not something that happens every day. So the crowds would have been huge. And Zacchaeus, because of his regret, because of his ostracized lifestyle, whatever, couldn't just, you know, squeeze in next to people. He was, he was an outcast. And he couldn't see because he was short. And so he takes this opportunity to climb this sycamore tree. Now, in Jericho today, you can see what they call the Zacchaeus tree, and it is a sycamore tree. But, let's see if we can get it up on the screen. You'll notice that, well, it's a big tree, but I can assure you that was not the tree that Zacchaeus climbed. 2,000-year-old <laughs> tree, no, that's not one of those. But you can see that it is, um, it's a great tree to climb. If you, when you were a kid, like climbing trees, that's a cool tree to get up in. And, of course, the branches are so big and so spacious that you can have a good view. And that was the opportunity. He could see. A blind man had been healed just on the other side of town. And now a man who was blind from his own ambition was going to get a chance to see as Jesus comes by. And there's that moment where, you know, the crowd, I'm sure there's this huge crowd. Everybody's pressing around. And Jesus comes under that tree. And he looks up, and he says, Zacchaeus. Now, he had never met Zacchaeus before. How did he know his name? Because he's Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus knows everybody by name. Zacchaeus, the outcast with all of a sudden the center of attention. Come on down, because I'm going to your house today. Now, it was not typical in those times and probably not today either, to invite yourself to somebody else's home, right? <laughs> but again, this is Jesus. And his invitation, his self-inviting, was for Zacchaeus a game changer. Man, why did he do that? Doesn't Jesus know who this guy is? <laughs> Jesus, his whole life, his whole ministry, was showing people that God loves others who pe other people have given up on. That was Jesus' ministry. But Zacchaeus had to say yes, didn't he? You got the spark of regret that led to a spark of opportunity. Jesus said, I want to come to your house. Zacchaeus could have said no, but he said yes. 
he welcomed Jesus in. And that welcome transformed his life and changed his, the dynamic of his relationships in the community because God had convicted him of what he had done wrong and he decided he was not going to continue in that same way. And he said, Jesus, I know I've done wrong and I'm going to give the money back four times and give half of my wealth away, which he did. And although we don't hear about his story after this, no doubt every single person he paid back four times what he had taken probably became pretty good friends, transformed his life. And that's what the welcome does. Finally, the spark of regret, the spark of opportunity, and then the spark of welcome. And faith comes alive, as it did for Zacchaeus, the Bible passage ends Jesus saying, today salvation has come to this house. For this truly is a son of Abraham. Up until then they were saying, you're not even part of the tribe anymore. You know, he's a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. That's what Jesus is all about. And I've experienced that spark in my own life. I a little bit of my background, I, I grew up in a family that was loving and full of faith. And what a great heritage it was for me, except I turned my back on it when I got into high school. And I just, you know, there were two things that I was really into, partying <laughs> and music. In fact, music was my god. And... I was so focused on that music that nothing else mattered to me. And in fact, the partying part, I, find, I found myself partying alone oftentimes. And when I finally graduated from high school, I didn't even go. I didn't care. Proverbs says that he who isolates himself seeks his own will. And that's, I was isolated like Zacchaeus. And so... I got a scholarship to go to Boston University, and I'm a trumpet player, <laughs> and I wanted to succeed, and that was what meant everything to me. And so I went to Boston University School of Music, and uh, in the first month, one of the most important things to get you on the trajectory is you audition to get into a performance group. And most freshmen, it wasn't a guarantee. You know, if you were decent, you got into the concert band, if you were really good, you might get into the concert orchestra, but um, that usually was reserved for older, you know, like juniors or seniors. And then there's this symphony orchestra, which is like nobody gets into until they're, unless they're really good or they're in their, you know, their graduate student level kind of thing. So, but I, I did not want to be in the band. I wanted to be in the orchestra. And so just before the audition, I prayed for the first time in a long time, and I said, God, if you get me into the concert orchestra, I'll think about serving you. <laughs> now, that is what they call chutzpah, okay? <laughs> Nerve. But I did. I prayed that prayer. I went in, I did the audition, thought I did great, came back the next week when they posted the results, looking at the concert band, looking at the concert orchestra. My name's not there. I'm devastated. I go to the dean of the School of Music and I say, hey, I know I played a good audition. What happened? He said, what's your name? David Brickner. He says, just a second. He went and looked. He says, David, you got into the symphony orchestra. 
He says, don't worry, they're in China right now on tour. They'll be back in a few months. Just, you know, relax and you'll play with them when they get back. And you know what I said? I am so good. <laughs> I've made it, all right, you know? That very next uh, hour, I was to make my first uh, lesson with the first trumpet of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. So I got myself all warmed up and uh, went into his studio and he said, play something. So I had this etude, I knew I could play it. I sat down, picked up the trumpet and <sighs> nothing. I mean, I, I almost heard the music of the Twilight Zone. <laughs> what was going on? He says, oh, David, uh, we're gonna have to change your embouchure which is for a trumpet player like major surgery. It means taking the mouthpiece and moving it to a different part of your lips. It's like it puts you out of commission for like six weeks. And I'm going, no, no, Mr. Schmedbig, don't, you know, there's something, I don't know what it is. He says, well, are you worried about, you know, how you're gonna be in the performance group? Don't worry, I'll take care of it. Did you get into one? <laughs> I said, yeah, I got into the symphony orchestra. He said, no. <laughs> I said, no, I did. So he calls the dean, he says, David Brickner, did he get into a, Oh, symphony, really? Well, we're still gonna have to change that embouchure. And I walked out of that studio just devastated. I mean, talk about regret. <laughs> all the things that I had sacrificed, all the things that I had worked for, and all of the kind of self-serving attitude had led me to this point. And then this. I'm trudging down Commonwealth Avenue, downtown Boston, towards the student union. And all of a sudden, I remembered my prayer. Oh. And I looked up, and 50 feet from me are two people with Jews for Jesus t-shirts on handing out tracts. And it was like I got stuck in one of those heavenly chorus spotlight shining down. The Rubik's Cube is coming together. I don't know how this happened. I'm like, whoa, this is, a, this is a divine appointment is what it was. And it was miraculous because of the sequence and the timing and everything. I knew it. Nobody else had to see that miracle. But I knew it was God. And that was my opportunity. And I took it. And I went up to those people from Jews for Jesus and introduced myself. They invited me to a Bible study and I went. And you want to talk about welcome. I can still remember to this very day walking in to that home and there were about a dozen young college age kids sitting on the floor with Bibles and it was like just a sense of love and acceptance. You could feel it. You know, Jeremiah says to Israel, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Yes, with loving kindness, I've drawn you to myself. And that's my story <laughs> about how regret and opportunity and welcome changed my life. And it did. I still love music. <laughs> I had a chance to play all over the world, record seven different albums of music. But I've done it in the service of God who called me to himself and showed me that he's much more valuable than any of the things that I wanted for myself. He's the most valuable, and he loves me. And so I don't know where you are coming from today. Uh, as you walked in here, everyone, there's a little bit of a background we all carry that's different. Everybody's on a journey. But I think that the same God has the same love for you. And I want to think about these three sparks. 
the spark of regret. Is there anything when I said that <laughs> that came to your mind? Or maybe as you're thinking now, some people say, oh, I live my life with no regret. And I know what they mean. You don't want to keep looking back. You got to look forward in life. But all of us have gotten it wrong, right? At different times. We've made mistakes. We've had things happen to us. Broken relationships that are still raw. Things that we wish that we had done that we didn't. Things that we did that we wish we hadn't. And it doesn't even have to be a career choice like Zacchaeus that kind of boxed us in. It'd be something very simple. A missed opportunity that, you know, that road less taken that we, we didn't take. And now we realize that we've put ourselves in a situation where... Can we get it back? Can we change the trajectory of our lives? Well, that's what grace does for us. That's what the love of God does for us. That's what Jesus does for us. He gives our life prospectus, that past performance, does not have to determine future results. That's the grace of God. Whatever the regret is that you walked in here with, you don't need to carry it. In fact, you're walking in here today may be the very opportunity that God is giving for this regret to be lifted, for the trajectory of your life to be changed, for the choices that you've made that you wish you could have back to be resolved in a wonderful new way that God intends for you. It's okay to have a regret. It's okay to have lots of regrets. If you look for the opportunity to bring it to Jesus. I mean, there's a sycamore tree in every one of our lives. You've got to climb in the tree. Look for it. Watch for it. What's that tree? It could, like I said, just be coming here today. You got up. Like Pastor Terry said, you made a decision to come to the house of the Lord. And God honors that by giving opportunity to see Jesus. And he's here. And he knows your name. We can't hide. There's no tree that's high enough to keep us from his sight. He knows everything about us. The good, the bad, the ugly. And he loves us. So wherever that journey takes us, the opportunity that God affords us, it doesn't even have to be some sort of a aha moment. It can just be, ah, oh, yeah, I see where the trajectory of my life has led me to this point where I can say, all right, I'm going to respond. I'm going to welcome Jesus. I love this way that Jesus invites himself. <laughs> Because when we welcome Jesus, he welcomes us. There's a double welcome that leads to transformation. Welcome of Jesus brings transformation that we cannot do on our own. You know, we've tried to do this. We've tried, it's like dieting. You know, you, you keep trying and then you fail. All the things that we try to do in life, it's because we're trying to do them in our own strength. But Jesus has the power to change our lives. And all he asks us is to welcome him because he's welcoming us. It's that wonderful verse in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus says 
to each and every one of us, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. You got an engraved invitation from the master culinary artist of life to dine, to eat of the riches, the treasure, the goodness of God. We all have that. And once we eat and drink of the food and beverage that Jesus brings into the home when we welcome him, it's life transforming. We don't have to hunger and thirst. Like Pastor John taught about the woman at the well, you drink this water, you won't thirst anymore. You eat this food that he brings in when you welcome him, you're not hungry because there's an ongoing spark of faith. If you're here today and you've not had that spark of faith to say, Jesus, I welcome you in, this is your opportunity. You can do it. And we're going to pray in just a moment. I want to invite you to meet God and to say yes to Jesus. But that spark of faith continues for us who follow the Lord. We need that spark. We need faith to be strengthened. Whatever it is, whatever regret, whatever challenge that we're facing in life, the finger of God wants to touch that sore point right now because he loves us. That unbreakable, unending, ever ready love of God that he has as he calls our name. Let's pray. This is a holy moment that God can spark life and faith in each one of us as we bring whatever regrets we have, whatever concerns that only he can meet and transform. Lord, we, wanted, we don't want to miss the opportunity that you give us right here and now. And any of the opportunities later on this day, this week, Lord, we want to seize every one of them to allow you to do your work in our lives. And so right now, Lord Jesus, we welcome you in. We hear your knock. We hear your voice. And we know there are places in our lives that we haven't welcomed you in. But we've kept you at a distance. Oh, Lord. And we've suffered the consequences of that. But now we want to say, please come, Lord. Come in, Jesus. Come into that sore point in my life. Come into that regretful moment Come into that brokenness and bring life. You came to seek and save that which is lost, and we, Lord, often lose our way. Would you come and dine with us, Lord? Transform our lives and make us again, as you say we are, your children. In Jesus' name, amen.